Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Phil, as John was saying. I'm not Nick. I'm a little, not quite as skinny, not quite as healthy as him, but it's an honor to be with you guys today. For those of you who don't know, Pastor Nick has actually been blessed with a, a really unique opportunity. I know he posted on Facebook he was in the Sea of Galilee this morning. So he's actually in Israel for a few days, so I would encourage you, please pray for Pastor Nick. Please pray for his family. Pray for safe travels. I know he was texting me this morning. He's super excited. God is showing him all kinds of things. So just please pray. What that means, though, is that you're stuck with me. And most of you know me pretty well and know I can go down some rabbit holes. I'm going to do my best to not do that, to pull myself out, giving my notes to somebody out there so they can help me pull back if I can start going on one of my crazy tangents. But I'm excited. We're going through Philippians, right? So we're on our journey through Philippians. And this is, you know, one of Paul's letters. And um, we're in Philippians. We're going to pick up. We're still in chapter 1. Here in New Pass, you know we like to kind of go through verse by verse, book by book. We're in chapter 1. We're going to cover verses 21 through 26 today. I am personally going to be in the NIV, and on the big board is going to be NIV today. But I encourage you to follow along on whatever version speaks to you. Whatever, whatever sword you pick up every day, that's the version you should follow along in. And if you don't have a Bible, let us know. You can raise your hand right now. Somebody will run you one. You can let me know after service. Don't leave the service without a Bible if you don't have one. We would love to put one in your hands. And if you like the digital side, you can be in the Version Bible app. You can jump around between all the translations, get them all in there and see which one speaks to you. But I encourage you, just follow along and see what God has for you because God's going to speak to you differently every time. It's, it's amazing. And so here we are. We're in week three of our, our journey through Philippians. And this is Paul letter, Paul's letter. It's a letter he wrote from prison, right? One of his many times in prison. This actually isn't his first time in prison. It's probably his first time in a Roman prison, but it's not his first time in prison. And he's sitting there. And what we've learned over the last two weeks is that Paul is using this as an opportunity. He's almost excited to be in prison. He's not only sharing the gospel with his fellow prisoners, but he's sharing it with the guards. He's sharing it, it says it's moving throughout the palace. So he's looking at every opportunity to, spare, to share the gospel. As John was praying, that police officer, right, he's ministering to the guards that are there. And where we concluded last week, I just want to briefly take us there because it feeds to where we're going today. And in verse 20, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And that leads, that flows right into where we're going, right when we're going to pick up. And it's one of Paul's most famous quotes. I smiled when Nick gave me the passage and I looked it up because I was like, he's given me a softball. As I dug into it, I realized it wasn't as much as a softball as I thought. But this is where we're going to pick up, right in chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. I'm going to read the entire passage, and then we're going to kind of go through and digest it because it's a lot to digest. And it starts off, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's that passage I was talking about. But what he says after that, if I am to go on living in the body... This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And hold on to that. We'll be back to that. Better by far. But it is more necessary. It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. That's a lot. So that's why we're going to kind of go through it line by line. But what I think Paul is saying, this is a beautiful passage from Paul. It's very introspective. It's very personal, right? It captures of how much he lived the latter part of his life and how he really models Jesus and how he's modeling life for us as Christians. He really defines what a Christian is. And he, he's saying, I want to die. I want to go be with Christ. 
but I know that there's still work to do, right? That I still have fruit to bear. If I'm here, there's still fruit to bear. So I will live with Christ. And like I said, I need to be honest with you guys. As I was going through and preparing, I've heard verse 21 probably more times than there are people in this room, and I would imagine most everybody has. It's a pretty popular one. We hear it a lot. It's, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We've all heard it. We can quote it. But I had never really understood what it really meant. You know, it's not the exact kind of English that we speak today, you know, through different translations. What was he trying to say? And as I spent a few weeks and I kind of dug in and then I erased what I wrote down and started over again. What, he, what I think Paul is saying is he's ready. He's ready to go eternity. He understands what salvation is. He knows, he knows Jesus as his Lord, as his Savior. He's ready to go. He's ready to be in the presence of the Father, but there's still work to be done. I still have fruit to bear. So what he's saying to me is that if we're still here on earth, then we are meant to bear fruit. There is work to be done. The mission is not accomplished. The mission isn't complete. If we are still here then we are still meant to bear fruit. And as I was prepping for today, what I felt that God was telling me, what he was asking me very personally to me, was, Phil, why are you waiting until you're dying to live like you're dying? Why do you put off things till tomorrow? Why do you think that, well, when you're older, right? Why do I think when I'm an older guy like Russ or like John Seidel or, or Ken Barrett or Jim, and not that they're older guys, but why will I wait until, well, I'm retired, then I'll dig into the word. Then I'll have time for you, God. Why will I put you second, right? And don't get lost on that they're older. They're just a little, these, these mighty men of God is actually what I have written here. I just said older, right? They're mighty men of God, but they're people that we can model our lives after. And what God was asking me, and I believe he's probably asking some of you this too through me, is why won't you commit your whole life right now? What are you waiting on? Why is it that you'll trust him with your salvation, Phil? But you won't trust him with your finances, or you won't trust him with your broken marriage, or you won't trust him with that toxic work environment that you go into every day with your health. Why won't you trust him with that? Why will you let him into your house? But you know what, Christ, you can't see that back closet back there, because that closet back in the dark, that's where I keep my shame, and that's where I keep my sin, and my fear, and my regret. Why won't I trust you with that? You know, that's just, that's too messy for you. I'll trust you with my eternity, but I won't trust you with this small piece of it. Why do you put it off till tomorrow? You know, when I was in Italy, they always like to say, domani, domani, that's tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow. Why am I always saying, I'll put it off till tomorrow. I'll dig in tomorrow, right? And some of us, some of us will wait until there isn't a tomorrow. We'll wait till our last moment to accept Christ. And I'm not judging them. I'm not downplaying their salvation story. My God is amazing and he works miracles. And however he chooses to save somebody is how he saves them. But what I'm saying is, could you imagine... If you that, it would have made that decision 10 years earlier, 20 years earlier. If you made that decision, you know, as this young man right here, if you'd have made that decision at that age, what you wouldn't have missed, what opportunities you would have had, the opportunities to live for Christ, right? The fact we're going to baptize later today, the opportunity to get baptized. Baptism is not a salvation thing, but it's one of those awesome God winks. The opportunity to just sit and have a relationship, the opportunity to open your Bible and find a note from your oldest son that says he loves you and you'll do great when you get up on stage today. Those God winks, the opportunity to tell your story, the opportunity to, to lead a kid to Christ, to talk to your brother about Christ, the opportunity to maybe baptize someone, to take communion, to do life together, to live, to truly live for Christ, these intimate moments. And so what Paul is saying is that he's ready to die. He's ready to go on, but I understand there is still work to be done. I need to continue the mission. He is willing to give up the far better, remember I told you to hold on to that and we'll be there, for the more necessary so let's unpack it. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 8, he says this. 
We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, I personally have always heard that as to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so what Paul is saying through this verse and back in Philippians is that he, he understands what it means to be ready to die. He understands its salvation, that he will, the second he leaves here, he will be present with the Lord. That there's no in-between, there is no. There's that one opportunity, and you've either accepted Christ or you haven't. And he says that in order to be ready to die, in order to be ready to live, you have to be confident in your full mind, your full body, your full soul, that to be absent from the body when we pass on is to be present with the Lord. It removes the fear. It removes the doubt. And so what he's saying, when you're at that point in your faith, when you can face death with your head held high because you know you will immediately be in the presence of the Lord, then you're ready to accomplish the mission. Then you're ready to go Therefore. And that's where he is. That's where he is. He's sitting in prison, writing to the Philippians. He's a man ready to die, but because of this, he is finally ready to live. And he knows his eternal salvation is secure, and he's ready to live. All right, in my notes I've got here, give you a little bit of background, because I'm a dork, so I kind of dig in, and I know, like, not calling Charles a dork, but Charles and I like to have these deep discussions on the information and what's going on. Shelly and I like to talk about it. So where we all are in Paul's life, it's around 61, 62 AD, so we're near the end of Paul's life. But that means it's like 28 to 29 years after the crucifixion, right? So Paul's around 57 years old. So by his age, by that standard, he's pretty old. In our world, he's still a young buck. Lots of things to do. But by their standard there, he's rather long in the tooth. He's been there. He's imprisoned in Rome. And like I said, it's not his first imprisonment, but it's his first imprisonment in Rome. He's awaiting trial for insurrection. And unfortunately, that's a word we know too well right now. But insurrection is causing an uprising against the government. So if you put yourself in a Roman prison for trying to rise up against Nero, who's the, the Caesar at this time, you can imagine it's probably not going to end well if convicted. It's probably coming with death, right? So he's faced with this possibility, this likelihood, that this may or may not be the last letter he ever writes. These may be the last words written. And as he sits in this prison... We see that he's not filled with anxiety. He's still doing the mission. Where he is, he's present there. He's leading other prisoners. He's leading guards. He's leading the palace to Christ. Where he is, he's there. And so let's look. Let's look at Paul's passion for Christ in Philippians 1.21. And so what he does through this one, through that famous verse, is Paul's teaching us to become passionate followers of Jesus. You see it. The verse begins with Paul making one of these most dramatic statements that you'll see in the Old Testament, really anywhere in the Bible. It's dramatic, it's personal, and he cuts to the heart of what this genuine Christianity, what this authentic living for Christ is. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me. Let's turn it in our English. For me. It's very personable. And what Paul is saying is that regardless, regardless of how the Benjamins are living down the street and the Joneses, and regardless of how Hollywood tells me to live and social media tells me to live and what the world tells me to live and what my job tells me to do, for me, me and my house are going to live for the Lord. For me, Christ. If you go back to the ancient or the original translation, it just says, for me, Christ. For me, Christ. For me to live is Christ. And what he's writing to the Philippians He's writing for their encouragement, right? In the same way that he's writing for our encouragement. For me to live is Christ, my whole life of Jesus. He's saying that everything I have, everything that I am, can be broken down to the word Jesus. It's the goal of his life. He's showing others, including his captors, right? Including Nero at this time, that Jesus is his passion, his pursuit, the very essence, right? That's what's bubbling up, and it can be summed up in one word that we see in verse 21, Christ. So my question 
and it's even for me, is can I say that today? Can you say that today? Is it my testimony? Not that you're perfect, not that you're living a perfect life, not that I'm living a perfect life, right? But could we truly say that today as Bible-believing Christians washed in the blood, read that word, are we living our life for Jesus? Not Jesus in our baseball team, not Jesus in the Bulldogs, not Jesus in my gun collection, not Jesus in my friends, not Jesus in my car or my truck, Jesus. And then the rest will fill in after. Is that my number one commitment? And I fully committed and devoted. Again, not perfection, but am I focused on that mission? Right? And you see this time and time again in Paul's letters. He didn't make the proclamation once. It's not limited here to Philippians 1. You'll see it in Colossians. You see it in Galatians. You're going to see it later in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. It says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus my Lord, excuse me, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. So Paul is saying everything else is garbage. Toss it for me, Christ. Now that's for a few weeks. I don't want to steal Nick's thunder when we get to Philippians 3, so we'll dig into that one later. I told you I'd chase some squirrels. But that's a big one. I think that really underscores his heart. And so what he's telling the Philippians and really telling every one of us, every one of us today, is that we have to live for Christ passionately. We have to live for him exclusively, wholeheartedly, not lukewarm Christians. You gotta be sold out. And if we live for Christ like that, then we can truly say that when we die, it'll be an unprecedented gain for us. But as long as we're here, we have fruit to bear. So that's Paul's passion, right? So let's move to verses 22 through 24. And this is where he underscores that we all have this struggle, this internal back and forth, right? Paul teaches us that we all struggle with choosing God over ourselves. We all struggle to choose God because we want the better by far. So verses 22 through 24, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to be, excuse me, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He says, but if I am to live on in the flesh, and he's thinking about his life, right? He's sitting there. He's probably got a lot of, a lot of internal dialogue going on. He's sitting on death row, basically. You know, I'm sure the Roman court system was kind of like a kangaroo court of what we call it. And basically whatever the emperor wanted to do is what happened. So is God, he's wondering, is God going to move mightily through Nero and am I going to be spared? And that means fruitful labor for me if I go on. He knows. He knows if his life continues, he understands it in his being, that he still has fruit to bear. He's going to continue to share the gospel. He's going to lead people to be saved. He's going to plant churches. He's going to raise up disciples. He's going to bring Timothys and Tituses and more Timothys and more Tituses. For him to live is Christ. He's going to do the mission. It means fruitful labor. But you see it. But I do not know what to choose. I don't know what to do. We see that Paul is struggling, right? It's very introspective. A lot of folks won't let you see that transparency. But Paul is being all things to all people. And he shares it so openly with his brothers and sisters in Philippi, right? He says, I don't know which to choose. To die, I want to go be with the Lord. But I'm here to serve you. And it's fruitful labor. I'm here to serve. I'm torn. The need here is so great. And I'm confident, I am personally confident, he's doing this to encourage the Philippines. I told you, Marissa, I'd do it. I was teasing with her. I said Philippines like 12 times as I was rehearsing this. 
So the Philippians, he's trying to encourage the Philippians. Maybe he's trying to encourage the Filipinos too. He's trying to encourage the Philippians because if you look at history, the honeymoon is probably over after Paul's left the church of Philippi. The persecution's coming in. The persecution's starting to come in. It's not as, it's not as cool to be a Christ follower in the church or in Philippi right now. It's not as cool to be a Christ follower in America. The persecution's starting to come on. So let me encourage you. Let me remind you. Let me build you up. Let me call you up. He's not calling them out, guys. He's calling them up, right? They're beginning to suffer. And he says, I desire. And verse 23 says, I desire. So he has this desire to leave, to be done with the mission, to go be with Christ, which is better by far. So we have this word desire. That's a strong longing, you know, the desires, his deep desires. But then you see this coupled with better by far, right? You see his true essence. Like he is ready. He is ready to pass on. I desire to depart and be with Christ. And he says better by far, not just better, but better by far. But what does he say after that? It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He says to live on is more necessary. There's still work to do for your sake, so there's this debate in his head, right? He's going back and forth. It's this brilliant intellect. We see that he wrote two-thirds, two-thirds of the New Testament. It's this debate of better by far what I want to do and more necessary what Christ has called me to do, what the mission is, right? He's probably pressed in a little bit on both sides. And I would ask you, what dilemma are you in today where you're on the better by far, but it is more necessary, right? What back and forth do you go through? What is, what is better by far, but on the other hand, is more necessary for your family? Probably going to work every day. It's probably better by far to go fishing, to go crocheting, to go drink tea, you know, go to a, a fancy tea room like Shelly likes to do. It's probably better by far, but you know what? She's got to get up and she's got to get three kids dressed because it's more necessary for the family. She's got to get them off to school, got to go to work. Or what about our ministry? What is better by far for us to do Versus more necessary to advance the gospel. You know, it's cold out there. It's going to rain a little bit later. It's better by far probably to stay home and cuddle up and warm. But it's more necessary to come out and not forsake the fellowship of the believers. And get together and do life together. And be with one another. And build each other up. Right? And so what we will see is that Paul's necessary. Excuse me. Paul, his more necessary will win out over the better by far. Paul's more necessary will win out over the better by far. And so Paul teaches us to accomplish the more necessary. He teaches us to accomplish the more necessary. We come to verse 25. We'll call this Paul's decision. We've seen Paul's passion. We saw that through verse 21, that he's a passionate follower of Jesus and he's encouraging us to do so. We've seen Paul's struggle, this internal back and forth between the far better and the more necessary. And so we come to 25 through 26. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. And tech team, if you leave this one up for a little bit, we'll go back to the very first part of it. <laughs> so basically what he's saying is given these two options, life and death, his preference, his better by far being death, how deep and how mature must have his understanding been of Christ, of Jesus, of what he knew of Jesus to say that I've got to stay here. There's work to do. God is leaving me here. I have fruit to bear. 
And he comes to this point in his mind where he's willing to postpone. He's willing to postpone his opportunity to be in eternity, to look upon the face of his Savior, to be in all glory, to be washed completely clean. He's willing to sacrifice that because he wants to serve his brothers and sisters in Philippi. He wants to serve his brothers and sisters at New Passion, right? Not that he knew we would be here, but he wants to serve. He's emulating what he saw from Jesus, right? He wants to stay. It's a selfless act. In my opinion, it's one of the most selfless acts you will find outside of the gospel. If you truly look at Paul, and I think he said that he was the worst of all of them, right? But if you look at Paul and how he lived the latter part of his life, it's as close to Jesus written down that I've seen him. He is truly trying to emulate those sacrifices. He says, convinced of this. So he's absolutely convinced. He knows the mission. If I'm here, I am supposed to bear fruit. If you're here, you are meant to bear fruit. The mission was not accomplished. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. I will continue to preach to you, as Paul is saying. I will continue to teach the word of God. I will continue to build up churches. I will continue to go, therefore. I will follow the Great Commission. That's a shepherd's heart. That's a shepherd's heart. He's out looking for the lost. He was emulating the heart of Jesus. He was showing us how we're supposed to be with one another. The more necessary is everyone in this room, everyone in this country, everyone in this world. Every one of us is made in God's image, right? That's what the Bible says. Every one of us, no matter how different we look. And Paul is saying it is more necessary to find the one on the far corner of the earth that's never heard about Jesus than for me to go be in eternity. If it takes one more day, one more year, one more decade, I'm willing to stay and get the mission done. That's love. That is emulating Jesus' love. I don't necessarily want to, but I do. I'd rather be here but I'm going to go here because it's the more necessary God has told me. So for your progress, he's saying for your progress, for our progress, for my progress, it kind of means like an iterative growth, right? We're trying to progress. We're progressing through the race. We're working our way through it. This is a growth of not only the head knowledge, right? Only the words. And this is the critical part, but a heart knowledge, a heart knowledge of Jesus, that relationship, that spending time with him. The heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus that Paul clearly understood. So a lot of us, and you'll see it, we'll know Jesus, the scholars that will get up there and talk about it. I have a, a dear friend who is very educated, has read this from um, cover to cover, but is probably atheist, if not at least agnostic, because they understand the word. They understand what was written, but they don't understand what God is saying. They haven't dug in and buried it in their hearts. And I've seen this all around. I'm sure you have too. There's people popping in your mind right now. They don't understand the heart of God. They believe in their head, but they don't know in their heart. They don't have that, that ability. They're not preparing their fields for rain because they know God can work miracles, but they don't believe that God will work a miracle in their life. You've got to prepare your fields for rain, right? They have this head knowledge, but no heart knowledge. We must continue to grow both. Our head knowledge, understand his word, dig in. Ten years from now, when you're reading this verse again, you may get something completely different. I hope you do. I hope God changes it in your head. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, but the way we interpret it, how we can lay it into our lives, and where we are right now, God will meet us right now where we are with his word. And when you've buried it in your heart, you'll know that. You'll know how to apply that. We need to continue to know him as Savior and Lord. You have to know that. You're never going to get there, I would encourage you. You're never going to get there on the side of heaven. It's not going to happen but you're still here. 
There is fruit to bear. There is work to be done. Even the more most mature believer has work to do. Right here, I says, I have work to do. I'm not the most mature believer. Not even in this room. Probably not even in this 10 feet. Right? But there's still work to do. I have work to do. If Pastor Nick was here right now, he would tell you the exact same thing. That he still has work to do. If some of the mighty women of God that are out there, Sheena Rader, Shelly, Nikki, Miss Clarice, if they were up here, they would tell you the same thing. There is work to do. I still have more things to learn. I'm still here. I'm meant to bear fruit. And we have to be making this progress. We have to make this iterative progress. And that's what Paul's saying. We need to be continually growing and making progress in his grace. And then what's it say? Joy. Joy, that unspeakable joy. And I say so many times we look for joy in all the wrong places. That's the second country song I've gotten close to in the sermon, right? But joy is found in the Lord. Paul says it so many times, times and time again, that joy is found in the Lord. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about it because there's a lot of joy he talks about in Philippians. You're going to see it in chapter 3, verse 1, where he talks about rejoice in the Lord. And then later, chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So there is joy in the Lord, and that's what he's saying. The more we progress to know him, we fellowship this full building today. We fellowship with him. We grow closer to him. We progress to become more like him. And the more joy, that unspeakable joy, is in our lives. And he says in the faith, he's talking about the Christian faith, us, the word of God. There's no progress in Christian life without the consistent ministry of the word in our lives. That is why Nick gets up here and he preaches what we call expository preaching. We go book by book, verse by verse. Because you need to grow in your head knowledge as well as your heart knowledge, but you need to understand his words, right? We want to progress. We want to progress with people through our Christian lives. We want people to have that joy, that unspeakable joy in their Christian lives. And what he's saying is these two, they're inseparably connected. They can't be separated. You know, I once heard a story of somebody who had been going to church. It was a small church, and that person stopped going to church. And so the pastor went over, and they were sitting around a fire. The pastor didn't say anything. He just took one of the coals out of the fire, and he kind of set it off to the side, and they were just sitting there. And no words, two men just hanging out by the fire, which for the ladies, it's a very normal thing. We're doing nothing. We're just sitting there looking at the fire, and that coal starts to go out, and it goes completely out, the smoke comes out. And then the pastor picks up the coal, drops it back in the fire, and starts to walk away. And the guy looks at him and says, I got it, I'll see you on Sunday. Because the coal was immediately relit. And so don't forsake the gathering of the fellowship of believers. Get together, do life together. Not just on Sunday morning, small groups. Get together and drink coffee together. Talk to each other, be transparent, be open, be real inseparably connected. If you guys are getting baptized, I'd invite you now to go ahead and step out. You can go ahead and get changed and get ready. And if God has laid it on anybody else's heart to get baptized, go ahead, step out. We'll get you a shirt. We'll get you a pair of pants. We'll get you a towel, whatever you need. If God's laid it on your heart, I encourage you to do that. And so verse 26 kind of brings that all together. And what Paul says is, so that, we see so that. You've heard Pastor Nick talk about it. I've said it. Therefore, right? So that. What's the therefore, therefore? What's the so that? Why? Why? Why does any of this matter? So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So if you go back to the original Greek, again, dork, like I said, got my interlinear Bible out. It says, so that the boastings of you, so the boastings of you may abound to Christ Jesus in me through my coming again to you. 
So that's a clean way to understand it. What Paul, Paul's not saying is, you know, hey, they've elevated Paul. They're worshiping Paul. And hey, Lord, you're pretty great too. What he's saying is, look what the Lord is doing through me. Look what he's doing. I'm sitting in a, in a prison, in a Roman camp, and the prisoners are converting, and the guards are converting, and the palace is converting to Christianity, right? And what he's saying is, we should be honored, we should be, we should be boastful, we should be excited. Behold what Christ is doing, what Jesus is doing. Get excited. It's worth having a party over, right? It says it abounds, it overflows. He's acknowledging that it is okay to be excited when God moves mightily. It is okay to be excited when he does something for you, when he opens a door, when he works a miracle, when he brings people to get baptized, when he brings somebody to be saved. It's a miracle. You should be excited. You should celebrate that. And what he's saying is, be excited. Because he says right after that, through my coming again to you. Right? The Philippians, they'll know that it's the Lord that freed him. He's in prison, in a Roman prison under Nero, for insurrection. Think of some of these persecuted countries. He's in prison there for trying to rise up against the government, this authoritarian government. So if I come back, if Paul comes back, the Lord has clearly freed me. So there is work to be done. There is fruit to bear. So if I'm here, if, I, if, if they didn't sentence me to death and God hasn't called me home, more necessary. It is more necessary that I continue the work. So you might be asking yourself, how do I live like I'm dying? How do I, how do I have this faith like Paul, right? And to be honest, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do with this until last week when I got to hear my wife speak. She spoke at a, a thing with, um, I don't know, about the same amount of people. And as she spoke, it spoke to me. That's what God once said here. And so I'm going to really mess up what she said, but I'm going to attempt to take it through this. And what I would like to do is this is a call up, right? Not a call out. I'm not here to convict anybody. It's a call up. And how do I live as Christ? What, what does Jesus say about that? So I, I'd like to go to Jesus' words, and I'm going to be in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And what Luke chapter 4, verse 16 is, that's kind of the beginning. You know, in a few chapters, he'll say it is finished. This is really where he steps out and begins his ministry. And so he's been all through Israel, with Capernaum. He goes home to Nazareth. He goes home to start. He goes home to start. And if you understand Jewish traditions, he goes to the synagogue and he goes to read. And he's handed a scroll. And we'll pick it up right there. It says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says, he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He has fruit to bear. He's choosing the more necessary. He knows how it ends. He knows how it ends. And he's fully man and fully God, so he knows. He knows the pain and suffering and that it would be better by far to go ahead and be in the presence of his father. But it is more necessary. And he could have chose to read anything. From my understanding, they just handed him the scroll and he picks. And he didn't go to chapter 43, one of my favorites, 
where he claims Israel is his, where he says, I've redeemed you, you are mine. He doesn't go to chapter 53 that is basically the entire foreshadowing of his life and says that what he's going to do, and to this point is not even taught in Jewish synagogues. They just skip that chapter of Isaiah. He goes to 61 to announce that his arrival, that he is ready to go, that he's here for the more necessary. He tells us how to live for him. What's he say? Let's look at it. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We can do that. We can share the gospel. Share the gospel wherever you go. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. The more necessary. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. I think he's saying, walk with those who are hurt. We're all hurt in some way. Walk with each other. Do life together. Be present where you are. Recovering of sight to the blind. Restore the lost. Recovering indicates you once had it. You've lost it. Restore the lost. Go therefore. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Free the oppressed. Free those that are oppressed, that are in bondage. Paul was in bondage when he wrote this. Free the oppressed. Basically, go tell the world about me. Another song reference. Cain, those of you who don't know that one. But he's, that's what he's saying. Go therefore, go tell the world about me. Or as we like to say here, love God and love people. Because that's loving people. And that's showing those people that you love God and teaching them how to love God the way Paul's teaching us. This is it, guys. He breaks it down. So every one of us here, every one of us here should strive to be like Paul. Not perfection. You're not going to get there. Give the hope of perfection as a perfectionist. Give it up. You're not going to make it. You're not. But you are made in his image. You're made in his image. So what now? Where do we go? Where do I go from here? How do I do this? How do I get there? I encourage you, Jesus' words, right? That's not a red letter Bible, but maybe yours is. Those are his words in red. Invest in one another. Where you are, be present. Be ready to bear fruit. If he hasn't brought you to the better by far, he needs you for the more necessary. There is no moment that God gives us that's an accident, no moment that is inconsequential. If you don't answer it, he'll send somebody else. That's what I believe. But be open and safe. Be real with each other, right? We struggle. That, that closet that's in the back, be real with each other. Resist living in the darkness. Give the glory to God. And again, I'm not talking about a performance. I'm not getting up here and playing church. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about playing church wherever you are. I'm talking about being a real, authentic Christian. <laughs> you know, the term Christian was actually used to make fun of us in the beginning because it means little Christ. I don't know why that came up, but it, it was used to disparage you. What have we turned it into? I could boastfully say I'm a Christian. I have a friend who says I'm a Christ follower. He takes it a step further. But we can boast. We can boast. He can turn it for his good and for his glory. So don't do the performance. And that's hard, right? It's hard to not be in the performance or it's hard to not pretend or it's hard to not just say, oh, I'm fine. Right? Because some of you, some of me have been struggling with the same sin, with the same regret, with the same hurt, habit or hang up, the same fear for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Right? We've almost gotten comfortable with it. You know? I've had it forever. It's, it's safe. At least, you know, I'm going to waller in my own filth. But you can recommit to God or you can commit for the first time saying, God, I want to be in your plan. I want to live for the more necessary. Right? And so as we close today, I want to encourage you. 
When you get in this relationship with Jesus, he begins to show you what relationships are supposed to be, that covenantal love, that no matter what, I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna love you with your brokenness, with your heartache, with your fear, with your shame, with your regret, with your broken heart. We live in this world, it's cutthroat, the world hates you. I talked about it last time I was up here, it's in the book. The world hates you. It's a lousy way, but when you receive Christ, he makes all things new. I'm not saying it's gonna be easier, it's probably gonna get harder, the devil's gonna be mad. It's probably gonna get harder, but you have a room full of people that'll walk with you. I'll walk with you. I'll speak for Jim and Charlene, they'll walk with you. John and Debbie, Russ and Regina. There's lots of people who will walk with you. You learn what it means to be part of this community. That's why small groups are so important. Not a perfect one, but one that cares about you and does life together. Great families, they don't like mess. We don't like mess here at New Passion. We don't like mess in the Alcorn House. But we try to be healthy and we walk through it and we build each other up and we pick each other up. We dust each other off and we move out together for the more necessary. And we want you to be part of that family. If you've never accepted Jesus, I encourage you. There's no magic prayer. There's no, you don't have to have me pray. You don't have to have Nick pray. One of those mighty men or women of God pray over you. It's a personal decision. It's a free gift. It's up to you, right? You can do it right where you are. If you need that outward, if you're, if you're old school and you need that outward walk, then you can walk right up here. No one's gonna judge you. You can raise your hand where you are. You can close your eyes and pray where you are. You can open your eyes and pray where you are. Because what the Bible says is, is if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus died for your sins, you shall be saved. Right? And that's it's open to everyone. It's not exclusive, but it's your choice. You have to do it. I can't do it for you. I would if I could, but I can't. But we want to walk with you. So I encourage you, if you do, fill out a connect card. Let us know. Come tell me. Tell somebody. Be boastful. Be proud. I'm a Christian. I'm one of them little Christs. Right? Be like Paul. Don't miss this opportunity. And if you want someone to pray with you, we're going to have some folks in the back of the room. I've said a lot of their names. Russ and Regina are going to be back there. Jim and Charlene, I don't even think I asked them, but I know they'll be back there to pray for you. John and Debbie, Wayne and Marissa. I don't know if I asked you guys, I'm sorry. But I know, I know they're walking. I know they're willing to pray with you. Not because they're any more special than any of us, but they just be, happen to be part of a group that I run in. So I know them. And I know they love you. And I know they're not gonna judge you. So if you need somebody to pray with you, they're gonna be there. And I just invite you to pray. And then we'll close and we'll come to a song and then we're gonna do some awesome baptism. It's gonna be fantastic. Again, if somebody, if God lays it on your heart, we'll baptize you just like you are. Just let us know. I just ask you to, to pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this beautiful building. We thank you for these beautiful words. We thank you for the life of Paul. We thank you that you have called us by name, that you have redeemed us, that you love us so much, that you sent Christ, that you sent Christ to die for us, that you love us, and that you would do it all if it was just me. I thank you that I am still here, that I am still meant to bear fruit. And I ask you to show me the next right step, Father. And Father, if I've never accepted you, that next right step is to accept you. So I pray, I admit, Father, that I can't do this alone. I need you. That I have sinned time and time again, but I love you. And I repent of those sins. And I confess that you are my Lord and my Savior, that you went to that cross for me, that when I pass on into eternity, if accepting you, you will stand in front of me, in front of the presence of God, and say, I got this one. He's one of ours. He believes. We thank you for that. We thank you to be on this side of the cross. We thank you that you have washed us in the blood of Jesus. 
that when he hung on this cross and he said, it is finished, he pictured me and he pictured each of you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity to get together, to tell the world about you. We ask you to be with us today, be with us this week as we go forward and show us the next right step. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.